This is Pitchback the Podcast, part of PitchbackNews.com. My name is Kyle Mankey. This is going to be part one of this week's um, podcast episode, so it's going to be a little bit different. We are going to talk about the last two San Antonio FC matches tonight. We're going to talk about a little bit of USL and North American soccer news tonight. And tomorrow, on on Friday, the day that this will be released, we're scheduled to chat with head coach Darren Powell uh, in the afternoon. So I hope to have that up by Friday evening for the Friday evening commute uh, for when people are driving home from work. So it'll be a little bit different. This will be a little bit shorter, but all things uh, going to plan. (laughs) We should have part two a little bit later in the day on Friday for you. Uh, obviously, plans can always change, uh, the, the best laid plans and whatnot, but that is the hope. So, looking back at the previous week for San Antonio FC, two matches to talk about. Not going to go super, super into depth on the X's and O's on them, but um, you know, positive results for a Southern California road trip for two matches on the road. Uh, right in the middle of the week for one of them. So let's start with LA Galaxy 2, Lost Dose. San Antonio FC came away with a 1-1 draw from that on the road. Uh, the lone goal coming from the captain, Michael Reed, in the 88th minute. Uh, always the drama with this team, right? It's always got to be late. Always have to have you sitting on the edge of your seat. So the lone goal for San Antonio FC came from Michael Reed in the 88th minute. Lustos scored in the 51st minute from Angola, and uh, it was more evenly matched than most people thought it would have been. Lustos is not a team that's doing particularly well this year. They're currently in 13th in the USL West, and it was a team that last week, if you listen to the podcast, I, I said... It was a team that keeps games close. Other than the 9-0 loss to Reno, which we'll talk about a little bit later because that actually has a ripple effect for San Antonio FC. Um, Other than that 9-0 loss, or rather since that 9-0 loss, they really haven't lost by a landslide in any of their matches. They've always kept it close, either drawing or losing by one goal for all of their games, except for one, I believe, against Real Salt Lake, if I'm not mistaken. But this was particularly worrying because San Antonio FC was missing three major pieces for the team. Um, Sebastian Abiaga, Chris Tierpak, and Cesar Elizondo all wound up uh, with one-match bans for yellow card accumulations landing right at the same time. And we said it before, you never want to be suspended, but if you have to be suspended, this is a good game for it to happen. Um, That being said, you know, a 1-1 draw against the 13th-ranked team, it's hard to be too happy with that. Obviously, a point on the road is good, Uh, I'm sure the team will take that, especially given what transpired on Wednesday. But it was tough to watch there for a little while um, when it looked like San Antonio was going to fall to this team after going down 1-0 in the second half. Obviously, one of the hiccups here is that Jack McBean has made his return to USL West. He was captaining the Lost Dose side. 
on Saturday night. And for anyone who is new this year or who just missed out last year, Jack McVean is uh, an incredible player. He was, I believe, the MVP of the entire USL last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, definitely a candidate. He he just absolutely lit it up. Got himself a uh, couple higher tiered offers there, including one with the first team in LA Galaxy. Um, but he was back with Los Dos for this match and didn't really burn San Antonio too badly, thankfully. But, um, you know, everything always gets more complicated when he's on the pitch. Uh, looking at the San Antonio FC roster that was selected, the um, I was going to say 18, but it was actually 17 players that were selected for the Los Dos game. Obviously, you had those three that were suspended, so that changed quite a bit. Sebastian Biaga is uh, a captain along with Michael Reed, you know, depending on on the lineup of the day. In his place, we had Cyprian Hedrick um, for Cesar Elizondo. The, the formation was a little different, right? So instead of having that lone striker, Mike Seth and Ever Guzman both started up top in what was basically a 4-4-2. It's officially listed as a 4-2-2-2. But um, it was interesting to see um, Mike Seth and Ever Guzman up top in, in what was basically a 4-4-2. I think it looked good, and I think it worked good for this team, and it worked well again on Wednesday against Orange County, Omar Gordon started on the right wing in place of Chris Tierpak. And like I've said, every time he's played, he looks phenomenal dribbling. He he burns defenders. He's very quick, has a great touch. Uh, he's just having trouble finding that finishing touch right now. And, and that's a theme that we saw in both matches, unfortunately, against Los Dos and Orange County. Uh, that's something that, you know, if it corrects itself, he is going to um, be in the running for, you know, USL MVP practically, definitely a player of the month if he's able to finish some of these chances that he's generating. Um, but even without that finishing touch, he is still enabling a creativity from some of the other guys. And this new formation is enabling a, a little bit of a different creative flow than we saw earlier with the four, two, three, one. And although the team is not winning by five nil or nine nil or anything like that, they're, they're generating chances, which is what you want to do. And they're finding ways to get all of these new guys onto the field, uh, which is another big factor because we saw all these signings right in the middle of the season. And you had to kind of wonder, you know, where were these guys going to fit? So in this match, we saw Mike Seth, Ever Guzman, and Omar Gordon all get starts, um, three of the new guys, and then Connor Presley came in as a sub in the 66th minute, um, replacing Billy Forbes. So it, it was really good to see these guys get a lot of time, and it's interesting to see these mid-season acquisitions contributing in such a major way. Uh, we saw Ryan Rashindle in the midfield again in Los Dos. Again, I thought he looked pretty solid. It's always really interesting having a solid center back playing as a midfielder. It, it just boosts that defensive possibility even more, and you have to love that. Michael Reed, the goal scorer, he um, has been 
really having a pretty low-key, phenomenal couple weeks here. Uh, he's been in great form over the last few weeks. He has uh, not only scored the door, scold, man, scored the goal. There we go, in Los Dos, but he was part of the scoring for um, several goals in the previous weeks. He he racked up several assists. He made the USL Team of the Week bench for his efforts. And even though he's not going to, um, he's not likely to end up in Player of the Month category or anything like that for the league. He is becoming kind of a crux of this team and um, really becoming a an attacking threat, basically, which is something we haven't seen a lot from him before. He's been kind of in the holding midfield role uh, for his time here but over both seasons. So it's really interesting to see Reed having uh, that great form. Chris Tierpak as well, even though he was suspended for this game, he's been playing really well. And so it, it's two guys that, um, you know, are really contributing here late in the season, kind of in the same way that Billy Forbes and Cesar Elizondo were contributing at the beginning of the season. So it, it's good to have someone that has the hot foot uh, at, at this point in the year, as long as somebody does right that's that's all that matters so um again going back to the fact that there were only 17 players selected i thought that was interesting and a lot of folks are asking about devin vega talk about him a little bit later when we get to the twitter questions but i think this was a big factor of the fact that the team went to southern california and stayed there over the few days so it wasn't like they came back to san antonio and then flew back for the orange county match so the team that they brought was the team that they brought and you know it's not like in previous years where usl you could use five subs you're only going to use three of those guys so it's not that unusual in this league to only see teams uh field 17 players um it looks like los dos actually fielded 16 in that match so you know what are you gonna do and then going forward to wednesday of course the big match uh san antonio fc against orange county sc San Antonio secured their first ever playoff berth with this victory. The 1-0 victory against Orange County secured San Antonio FC's ticket to the USL playoffs this year. At this point, they are 100% playing for positioning for the playoffs, which is a phenomenal place to be. They secured that spot with almost exactly a month left in the regular season. Uh, San Antonio FC's last regular season game, I believe, is October 14th, and this game took place on September 13th. So almost exactly a day, or sorry, almost exactly a month before the USL regular season ended, San Antonio FC punches their ticket to the playoff. Um, I'm sure there are many folks that are still listening, or still hungover, rather, uh, on this Friday morning after celebrating Wednesday evening on that victory. <laughs> so it, it's great, and that's one less thing to worry about, and that was the first goal that uh, the team wanted to scratch off of their list was make the playoffs. So now you're able to move on to goal number two, which is playoff positioning. The way the USL playoffs work, eight teams from each conference um, 
make the playoffs. Top four teams are guaranteed at least one home playoff game. So you do want to finish in that top four, which San Antonio FC looks like they should, barring any sort of a big meltdown. But at least being qualified is the uh, important part, being qualified for the playoffs. Um, the one goal came off of Ben Noonan, his first of the year. There was some confusion on the broadcast uh, whether or not Sebastian Ibiaga touched it to finish the goal. Um, I have not seen a clear video of it that shows Ibiaga touching it, and Opta officially has the goal credited to Ben Noonan, so I'm going to go with Ben Noonan. Um, but either way, Ibiaga played a huge role in that goal by forcing the goalkeeper to uh, account for him and to account for the fact that he could redirect that ball. So whether or not he actually touched the ball, Ibiaga deserves some credit there. Ben Noonan, of course, deserves a lot of the credit, most of the credit, uh, as the one who either serviced the ball or scored the goal. So uh, great time to get your first goal of the season um, to, to help push your team into the playoffs there. Talking about formation against Orange County, again, we saw that 4-4-2. I love it. I think it's a great way to get all of this new attacking power onto the field. Uh, I think it really takes advantage of how defensively strong San Antonio is in the spine of the team, especially now that they're plugging Ryan Rashindle in as a midfielder. Uh, because you're basically figuring out a way to get three center backs on there and be able to shift back to playing uh, kind of a 3-4-3 three, three whenever you want to. So I think it's a phenomenal tactic. I think it came right at the right time. And, you know, there's nothing saying that they can't deploy the 4-2-3-1 again later and, and throw teams off a little bit if need be. But I think with the attacking power they have with Gordon's touch and, and how Presley was playing, how Elizondo played earlier in the year, um, the promise that Guzman and Seth have both shown, I think you got to figure out a way to get all those guys on the field. And the 4-4-2 definitely seems to be the way to do that. And it's going really well. Uh, one random stat that I thought was pretty entertaining, I was looking to see um, one of one of the most interesting things to me with the Opta stats is looking at the average positions for matches because they actually track each player and show you know their average position throughout the match. And I expected Gordon or Elizondo to be one of the guys who was most forward throughout the match, but it was actually Connor Presley out there, kind of in the left wing area. Um, it was interesting to see Presley was the one who was most forward throughout the match. So he's someone that I think kind of fits that Sean Chin role where he can be plugged in in a bunch of different places and uh, be effective. For Wednesday, we saw him plugged in as a striker, uh, one of the two in that 4-4-2. We've also seen him as a winger. We've seen him you know, pretty much all over the field at this point as a midfielder and a striker. So... He's really interesting to me, particularly because he's so young. He is a player that um, could very easily be developed over the next few years and become you know, a franchise player for this USL club and potentially an MLS player if San Antonio FC gets the MLS uh, bid, if their bid is awarded a franchise. So very interesting player with Connor Presley. Um, and, you know... Omar Gordon over on the left wing this time, where we'd normally see Billy Forbes, uh, generated so many chances. Again, just couldn't get that finishing touch. And, you know, what are you going to do? 
<laughs> but uh, you know, other than that, not a ton to talk about from this game. Um, a couple of yellow cards that came out a little quickly, in my opinion, and probably the most comical, if if you can laugh about it, which I think we can because it's sports. Stephen McCarthy, he um, just came off of the accumulation warning list for going five games without getting a card. And the way that works is if you go five games without giving a card, uh, getting a card, then you get one removed from your tally as far as the accumulation punishment goes. Um, so he had a two-card leeway, came on as a sub in the 84th minute, and was awarded a yellow card in the 85th minute. So <laughs> he is back in accumulation warning. If he gets another yellow card, he'll be suspended for one match. Uh, and you just have to shake your head and, and go, of course. You know, it's it's never easy with San Antonio in the last few minutes of a game. There's always something, whether it be scoring pressure or you know, just crazy events happening in the last couple minutes. But Stephen McCarthy will land on that accumulation warning list again this week. And, you know, what are you going to do? At least it's a position with significant depth. <laughs> and, um, and the other important thing is that all of the accumulation gets reset at the end of the regular season. So no accumulation will have any effect on um, playoffs other than I believe if you get a straight red in the last regular season game, I believe you are suspended for the next match on that. Um, but as far as accumulating yellow cards, none of that matters for playoffs. So just have to get through the regular season and uh, we won't have to worry about this anymore, hopefully. Um, one familiar face on the Orange County side, of course, Carlos Alvarez, who uh, was the first player announced for San Antonio FC last year. He was the first player announced for LAFC this year. He's on loan with Orange County this year while uh, LAFC builds their stadium and gets ready for MLS next year. Uh, he played 80 minutes. He, he put in a solid shift, and, and it was pretty similar to the Alvarez that we saw last year. Uh, he was a really solid player that I was disappointed to see go but he is a LA native and he's getting the opportunity to be part of an MLS club so you have to understand why he did it but uh it, it sure was a shame to have that reminder um last night rather Wednesday night so San Antonio FC is in the playoffs at this point only playing for playoff positioning and pride, of course. You want to win as many games as you can. That's sports. But looking at the Western standings, currently Salt Lake City is still in first place with 56 points. San Antonio FC slid up to second with 52 points, four points behind Salt Lake City. Uh, Reno is right behind San Antonio with 49 points. Swope Park, 45. Tulsa, 40. Sacramento 39, Phoenix 37, and Colorado Springs rounds out the top eight with 34 points right on their tail. Ninth and 10th, Oklahoma City with 34, and Orange County with 33. And really, S2 isn't out of it either with 30 points. Um, RGV, it's going to be a little bit more of a battle to get back up there. I don't think Lost Dose, Vancouver are, are going to get up there, and I'm pretty sure Portland has been mathematically eliminated with their 12 points. Um, Portland is a subject that we could probably spend some real significant time on, and I'd 
like to do that with Aaron or, or with another guest um, because Portland, the Portland model is not good for USL. They are strictly a development team this year and they have won two matches, lost 18 and drawn six with a negative 25 goal differential, 12 points through 26 matches. That's not good for the league, no matter how you cut it. I'm not a big proponent of hating on the MLS two teams by default, but when you have a team that's not trying to win, it doesn't help anything, right? For San Antonio's credit, they do still have a match against them later on this year. It was the match that was postponed due to Hurricane Harvey, so at least San Antonio will get to see them again. They they have to win that match. Um, they don't have to obviously but you can't you you just can't lose against a team that doesn't want to win right (laughs) frustrating frustrating to watch um speaking of that because lost dose had that issue at one point this season because their first team was dealing with so many injuries and other things so lost dose had that 9-0 loss to reno and the reason that's relevant to san antonio now is that reno and san antonio are neck and neck for that second place slot um Currently, they've both played 26 matches. San Antonio is ahead by three points, but with several games left, that could go back and forth several times. The first tiebreaker is wins, which San Antonio and Reno are tied at 14 and wins. But if it goes to the second tiebreaker, that's goal differential. And so that 9-0 whooping that Reno put on Los Dos earlier this season is exactly the difference between Reno and San Antonio right now. Um, San Antonio has a 20 goal differential. Reno has a positive 29. You have to be frustrated about that because if it comes down to that second tiebreaker, they're going to get it because they played such a bad MLS two team. And that is extremely frustrating. And hopefully that's a bridge that we don't have to cross, but it's in the back of your mind. So the next match for San Antonio is going to be Sunday evening in Kansas City against Swope Park Rangers. Um, Sunday, 4 p.m. kickoff on Sunday, September 17th. So getting a little bit of a rest after that Wednesday match, getting to come home for a couple days before heading out to Kansas City, and then coming back for the Saturday after that to play Reno, or sorry, uh, Rio Grande Valley FC. Um, the RGV Toros will be coming to San Antonio next Saturday for their San Antonio's return home, which will be really nice. Um, so Swill Park, very dangerous team. They are right there in the thick of it too. They are currently in fourth place with 45 points. So they're not someone you can sleep on. They always give San Antonio trouble, um, Children's Mercy is a very difficult place to play, even with this MLS2 team. The um, crowd just kind of follows the opposing goalkeeper, and so it's really an aggravating place to play for the coaches, for the players, everything. So that could really give them trouble, and we'll have to see if they're able to... um, you know, use this playoff qualification as a springboard to get into the best form they've had. Or, you know, if we see the opposite of that and see a little bit of a hangover from the celebration, hopefully that's not the case. But we will see on Sunday. 
So let's get to the Twitter topics before we call it an early day. Again, this is part one. We're scheduled to chat with head coach Darren Powell tomorrow, and we hope to have that up by Friday afternoon for the Friday evening commute. Um, We will absolutely do our best on that. So Aaron uh, asks, is Vega in Coach Powell's doghouse? Didn't make the 18 or seem to make the trip. This is a topic that we've gotten a lot of questions about and a lot of comments about uh, is Devin Vega. He is obviously a great story, San Antonio native that uh, went to FC Dallas for his academy days and then um, came back to his hometown to play for his first professional year. Um, I don't know. To answer your question, is he in Coach Powell's doghouse? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Um, I'll I'll ask Coach Powell tomorrow, but I have a hunch on you know what his answer is going to be because he doesn't generally um, you know discuss individual players like that. But rather than answering if he's in the doghouse, what I'll say is that he might not fit the system that is currently being deployed. So if you look at where Devin has played this year when he has played, um, it's mostly been in a central role as kind of a 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Over the last couple of weeks, San Antonio has shifted to a 4-4-2, um, bringing in the new guys to play on the wings and as the forwards, and then deploying guys like Pekka, Maxi Rodriguez, Ryan Rashindle, Michael Reed as the central midfielders. If he was healthy, I would bet Rafa Castillo would be in there too. Um, so you're seeing a very defensive-minded spine. And I have to think that Devin Vega, as good of a soccer player as he is, he doesn't fit that role as well as somebody like Maxi Rodriguez, as well as Michael Reed, as well as Ryan Rashindel. Um So as far as his role on the team, I don't know how he fits on that. The way I could see him getting playing time is if he shifted back out to the wing and um, was able to beat out Tierpack or Forbes, but then you have Gordon, you have Presley, you have a lot of guys. It's just a really crowded position at this point. So as far as being in Coach Powell's doghouse, like Aaron says, I don't know about that. But what I can speculate is that he just doesn't fit the uh, formations that have been deployed over the last few weeks. And we'll see how that continues over the rest of the season. But if the spine of the team is going to be more defensive-minded, I don't see Devin Vega playing there because he is a smaller player. He's an attacking-minded player for the most part. And so he's going to have to find a, a role as either a forward or a winger um, unless we see something different from what we've seen from the last couple of weeks. Um, Tony Cardoni, one of one of our uh, favorite Twitter um, interactions here, sends the GIF, uh, the playoffs GIF. Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? Yeah, we are. Already qualified, so it is all good now. Uh, Michology writes in, assuming everyone is healthy, what's your 11 and what formation would you use for the playoffs? Um, that is a really good question, and I think it really depends on the team that they're playing and the scheme that they're trying to deploy, if they're wanting to sit back and be counterattacking or if they're wanting to be more proactive. Um, but I, I really like this 4-4-2 that we've seen lately, so I, I definitely think it would be the 4-4-2. 
I think the back four, uh, Restrepo and goal, obviously, and then the back four being the guys that we normally see with uh, Noonan, Ibiaga, McCarthy, and Cochran, although I think Hedrick is a perfectly solid substitute uh, as a center back. Um, he he would start on any other team. He just got hurt at the beginning of the season and lost that chance for now. Um, he's He's a phenomenal center back that is really, really very good option coming off the bench. He would start on most other teams. So that would be my back four. Um, for the midfield, probably tier pack on the right. Um, then in the middle, I would go, I've really liked what Rashindle's been doing. I think he's been playing really solidly. So I would actually put Rashindle there and probably Michael Reed um, as the other central midfield. This is going to be a little controversial. I might get a little hate on this, but I actually think that I would start Gordon on the left wing over Billy Forbes based on what we've seen over the last few weeks. Um, Billy Forbes and Omar Gordon lately, since neither one of them has been able to score lately, they've been playing a very similar role where they are creating chances through their ball handling, through trying to beat defenders one-on-one. And as good as Billy is at that, Omar has been better in the last couple games that we've seen. Um, It's weird for me to say that. Trust me, I I don't discredit Forbes at all. But just based on recent form, I would put Gordon there over Forbes on the left wing. As far as the two forwards, um, that that is tough. Maybe... Maybe I could shift Gordon up as a forward and put Forbes on the wing. Um, But I would probably do Cesar Elizondo and Ever Guzman if I had Gordon on the wing. If I put Gordon as a forward, then I would put Billy Forbes and Gordon and Cesar up at top. So two options there with, with very minimal changes. If you want to try and get Billy on the field, then you move Gordon up as a forward. But, you know, Connor Presley has really impressed me in, in the time that he's gotten. Ever Guzman has looked phenomenal as we expected. So there's there's some serious depth on this team. And I don't envy Darren Powell having to come up with a starting 11 out of this team because it's tough to decide when you have this much depth for this level. Um, it, it's a great problem to have. Um, Joe asks, issues to fix before playoffs. Um, you got to score more goals. You have to finish. Um, obviously, that's the hardest thing to do in soccer. It's a lot easier for me to sit here in my chair and say, hey, you should put the ball in the net. <laughs> um, I, I completely recognize how difficult that is. I'm not trying to uh, Alexi Lalas it up over here. But um, Omar Gordon, Billy Forbes, Cesar Elizondo, they they have to find that finishing touch that those guys have the potential for because they're too good to not be scoring goals. This team still has not had a forward score a goal since July. Since July 1st. It is September 15th. So you have to solve that problem. Um, I, I don't know how you do it. These guys are professional footballers. They know better than I do. Um, but that's, that is the number one problem for San Antonio FC. Defensively, they are the strongest in the league. I think this 4-4-2 formation is the best they've looked because they're able to capitalize on that defense. Um, but 
the counterpoint to that is you have to be able to score on the other end because you don't want to take it all the way to penalties because then it's basically just a coin flip. So that's that's my big issue, the the finishing. You have to you've got the talent there. You just have to find the touch and find the chances. Um stick with Restrepo. Yeah, definitely. I, he's the best goalkeeper in USL right now statistically and eye test, he's really solid. Um, I will say that Restrepo gives you a double-edged sword because he is very aggressive with coming after balls. He will come off of his line um, pretty far, and while that can be a phenomenal asset, it can also come back to bite you, as we've seen. So, um, yeah, absolutely no reason to think they would go anywhere else other than Restrepo. Uh, Lee Johnston's been a solid substitute, um, but... Restrepo is is the guy. Matt Cardoni, I'm not sure that we're going to see him again this season. Um, we've seen him training a little bit with kind of rehab type stuff, but um, I, I don't imagine there would be a reason to rush him back when you have Restrepo playing well. And the last question was potential playoff opponents. Yeah, so looking at the standings right now, if all things stayed the same, San Antonio would host Phoenix in the first round at Toyota Field. Um, that is a team that has fluctuated quite a bit this year. They um, started out a little slow. They got Drogba and got red hot, got back into the thick of things. And then Drogba has been on this uh, injury, this European vacation injury thing. So um, Phoenix is a solid team, even without Drogba. Um Jason Johnson has been playing better in Phoenix than we ever saw in San Antonio. So good for him. I'm happy for him. It's a little frustrating to see him do that for another club. Um, speaking of, AJ Jiqua, congrats on scoring your first goal with uh, Colorado Springs um, in his debut. So Phoenix is tough. Sacramento um, would be the opponent if San Antonio slipped to third. Uh, Sacramento's currently in sixth, so they would host Sacramento. That's another team that can be really tough to beat, um, but that is going through its own fluctuations. They have um, stalled out quite a bit on their early dominance that they showed coming into the league, and our our buddies over at Indomitable City Soccer, I say that like I'm not on the masthead, um, <laughs> There, there's a piece out there, you know, talking about um, calling for Paul Buckle's job, which, um, just for the record, is not something I'm in the business of doing. I don't write for ICS. I, I just kind of edit things and had nothing to do with that piece. I, I um, love that site, but that's not something that I generally do. But um, all that being said, there's there's some questions there in Sacramento. Um so it'll be really interesting. Colorado could easily slide up into one of those spots, and they've always given San Antonio issues. If Swope Park stalls out and, and slides down a few spots, that's huge trouble. I mean, there there's still so many games left that it's hard to speculate too much, but USL West has been a very competitive league this year, even if the standings don't necessarily show it. So... Um, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And as things get closer and as scenarios um, level out a little bit, we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on that and talk about it more in depth and uh, start talking to guys who know a little bit better than I do about the teams that they cover. So 
anyway, again, this has been part one of today's episode. Part two will be coming out later on Friday evening. Um, scheduled to appear, Coach Darren Powell. I'm very excited to chat with him after this Southern California road trip and, and kind of pick his brains on how the season has gone. So, um, very, very thankful to be able to do this every week. Thank you so much for listening. It, it really does mean the world. Um, I'm starting a new job next week that I'm really excited about, but um, as far as I know, nothing is going to change as far as Pitch Black goes, so don't worry about that if uh, we are what helps you get through your Friday commute. And of course, Aaron Marvel is scheduled to come back here very, very soon um, in some capacity so we're, we're almost through this darkness of the uh kyle mankey hour so <laughs> thanks for sticking with us we will catch you a little later today